right, welcome to Out of the Blue from the Block M Podcast Network, part of the Fan First Sports Network, a podcast that is more aerodynamic than a regulation shuttlecock and can also cure leprosy and Legionnaire's disease if applied weekly. I am Jared Sturmer of the Fan First Sports Network and the Block M Podcast Network now. With me, as always, is my hetero life mate, Andy Bailey, of the same place, Andy, you woodland prophet cursed with knowledge of the universe and fire zone blitz schemes that would drive most men insane how the hell are you brother i'm good man got a bag of doritos over here next to me you know firing up got some gushers in the back in case i gotta get a sugar rush through this pot i'm ready to go how are you i got everything i need to get through this thing baby lock me in a in a room with some ribs some emergency gushers Good to go, man. I know you're a cool ranch man over there, but uh, I'm ready to do this podcast, man. We got a lot to cover for it being middle of March and uh, the Michigan basketball team not really doing much worth uh, talking about. But there's some stuff to talk about in general, brother. Let's get into this here with some quick hits. Where do you want to start? Uh, let's start with the three letters we've been dreading talking about the last couple of weeks. N-I-T. Yeah, man, that was a rough loss to Vanderbilt. Jerry Stackhouse there over on the other side. I would have been fine with just stopping that thing at the half and letting Stackhouse and Jawan Howard play a spirited game of horse to finish it up. But instead, we had to play a basketball game, and it ended like pretty much every other game had ended for this Michigan basketball team. It was fitting to end the way that it did in a 66-65 collapse but it still hurt, and even without your two best players, man, that, that, that one stung a little bit. Yeah, it did, because it was just the microcosm of the whole season. Blowing it was an eight-point lead with 63 seconds to go without shooting any free throws in the final minute. I mean, complete disorientation. Team fell apart after what was a promising showing, minus Jet Howard and Kobe Bufkin, as you alluded to. Hunter Dickinson played, played really well. Uh, so did Doug McDaniel, Terrace Reed, and Terrence Williams had a good, you know, strong middle of the game and then the end of the game happened and it collapsed and it just again epitomized the season you and I were kind of of the same mind they're like none of this really matters like it could only go up because it's the NIT tournament but there have been some uh, overreactions in the Twitter sphere yeah I mean we there was a lot of people being like you don't even accept this we are above the NIT tournament and then you lose and it's like he should be fired because of what <laughs> happened in the NIT tournament like brother pick a lane which is it does this not matter or does it matter so much Jawan Howard needs to be fired like it was the NIT tournament and like you said Kobe and Jet sat out now like my bigger takeaway is were they actually injured or is that like forecasting decisions already being made like that to me is what I'd rather talk about rather than did Jawan Howard upset his legacy with an NIT loss to Vanderbilt my brother I don't care <laughs> the NIT performance is not going to swing me one way or the other and you're 100% right the story is Howard Jet Howard and Kobe Bufkin like did they sit out I, one, I'm just on the side. I hate this sit out culture, especially if you're like a middle round, first round pick. It's like, you know, 25, that's good enough for me. I'm sitting out. Go out there and drop 33, my guy. Like, what do you do? Improve your stock. Like, you're not Victor Wimbenyano where you can just choose to do this. Yeah, if that is the case and they were both sitting out, as of right now, you could project Jet Howard somewhere from the 11 to 25 range. Like he could fall as far as that, probably still a first rounder. Kobe Bufkin could fall out of the first round. So he's really not in any position to be sitting out like that. And Hunter Dickinson going out there in his third year, who he's really improved. Like you and I over the last six weeks have really come around on Hunter Dickinson. I think he's probably moved himself into a second round territory once scouts are able to go back and look at some of this tape. And he's out 
out there playing his ass off. So yeah. I'm totally with you, man. If that is the case, that's really lame, especially for Jet to be like, all right, dad and brother, like, go do your thing. I'm above this. I'm going to go play for the Washington Wizards next year and, and play six minutes a game. Like, you're n- neither of them are ready. They're just not ready. So, like, sitting out, you're, you're missing key critical reps that could really help with your development and you're leaving your team out there and they're out there doing it man and it or not they're still out there competing how about uh some people online coming after uh, our boy yo yo kai like oh we gotta replace him it's like he's getting reps for next year that's all this is it's just developmental stuff like he played the most he had at the end of the season just because he's going to have to take on a bigger role next year especially with the departure of isaiah barnes which we'll get into but like the wing like guard depth we're gonna need another person like kaya to step up and he's growing like he's not just gonna be like okay he's ready to go plug and play 25 minutes is gonna average 15 and 10 yeah my bigger thing there is why didn't we see more of him throughout the season we know that this is a guy that we expect to be a player terrence williams he certainly does things out there i mean i'll say that about terrence williams it's like when you give the slower kid in the class some legos and he doesn't build anything with them he just kind of bangs them together and it's like hey honey honey, is he playing with the legos like yeah technically like he's he's eating them them. He's eating them, but he's doing stuff out there. Terrence Williams does stuff. It's not always productive, but like what was really the greater good by playing him as much as we did throughout the year and not getting Yusuf Kayat in there a little bit more? Like, could we have worked Isaiah Barnes in more than six minutes a game? I, I do look at those things with Jawan Howard, and I'm like, I, I don't love how we use the personnel this season. But uh, yeah, moving on from players like Yusuf Kayat when we might lose three of the top three players on our team, uh, that's not good business. No, it's not. They have to have time and opportunity. And these reps were very important for the younger guys moving forward. And next season, there's a lot of questions that are going to need to be answered by Juwan Howard. You and I have already discussed ad nauseum, like 20 wins in the regular season is the minimum. Like you have to hit that mark. Like that's a big number next year for him. And we'll have a lot of off season to really dive into that and what he has to do to improve. But this roster could look completely different next year, depending on the decisions of Dickinson, Howard, and Bufkin. Yeah, and we'll learn more. I think it's a little too early to call our shots, but like maybe now is the time to be like, what would you predict the team looks like? Because we're going to find out here. This is going to happen pretty quickly. I imagine we'll hear decisions. So I think we probably should do it now. Go ahead and call your shot. What would you say is the starting five for next year? Uh, starting five, man, because Llewellyn's supposedly coming back. Uh, Joey Baker is applying to be able to come back. It's that's tough. There's a lot. Yeah, you can like the Joey Baker one. That's one like, well, whatever, whatever happens, happens. But with, with the other guys, what do you think happens? I think it's Doug. I think it's Hunter. I think it's Terrace. I think they just go the double big. Uh, I can't speak on the transfers yet. They're in the mix with a couple guys. The Wofford kid was one name out there. I think the Pitt guy was another one out there. Uh, then it leaves a lot. It feels like yo-yo. And I don't know if you go double point and put Llewellyn because the guard depth is so low or you go with a freshman like George Washington, first of his name. Not really, <laughs> but I feel like that's a great one to have in there as well. So it's so up in the air. Like I feel like after this most recent game, I'd already said I thought Jet was gone, but now I'm leaning. I think Kobe might be gone too. Yeah, I, I'm kind of leaning that way too, which would be such a bummer. So if I have to call my shot, I think I'll do exactly that. Doug Llewellyn, a transfer uh, with Yusef Kayat being the backup three or backup four, and then Terrace and Hunter Dickinson. I think I'm exactly right there with you. Uh, Joey Baker, that application, I think he only played like one or two games or something the year that he's applying for his freshman season. Like 18 so minutes, well. I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was not much whatsoever. So he could definitely get that, and I – 
definitely welcome him back for depth. I don't know if that's your starter. Uh, will Shedder will certainly be providing minutes. He'll be back, I would imagine. But yeah, it's it's very much up in the air. We'll find out soon. So anything that we're projecting now, just expect that to change. But yeah, man, I'm kind of leaning towards Kobe and Jet going, which would be major, major bummer. I've loved all the predictable, like this content you'd expect to see after this about like, oh, Jawan on the hot seat. We're going to make Jay Wright say no. We're going to do this. It's like everyone just oh, looking for an angle, but it's all just the same recycled angles you see every year. It's like, guys, it sucks and it's not sexy, but it's got to sit down and wait for a little bit. Like pressure's on. Yeah, you do not fire a coach for one bad season when they've had success on, you know, before that. And they've had, you know, what we would think would be replicatable success. Certainly the stuff on the recruiting trail looks really good. The Kobe Bufkin and Hunter Dickinson development this year, both really positive marks. So it is not just 100% negative. Like I would say the stuff that I'm looking at is obviously the late game execution stuff. I don't know if that was players on the court. I don't know if that's a Juwan thing, but like that ultimately has to come down to coaching and then rotations just not a huge fan of the rotations every single basketball fan at any level always goes to rotations first though because when you're losing and things don't go well that's pretty low-hanging fruit but just like i said just not much greater good being served with all the terrence williams minutes and yusuf kayat could have been there we could have been developing him the whole time let me set you up here would you rather lose like this blowing an eight-point lead in the nit the second round of the nit or be Purdue and win the Big Ten and lose to a 16 seed? Tremendous transition. I was going to ask you that exact same thing. And I've thought about this. I saw this going around social media. You and I are big fans of like winning matters. And like, we're not going to hate on LeBron for having finals losses because it wouldn't, it's not better to get bounced before then. Like you got to the finals. You, you should get some sort of credit for that. So Purdue gets credit for winning the Big Ten and winning the Big Ten tournament. That's awesome. That being said, you're now attached to this and this forever. is rough. You are attached to this forever. I think I'd rather go in the NIT and just kind of sneak under the radar. How about you? I'm fine with that, man. Like if, if it was like a 13, four loss or something where it's just going to, it happens pretty yeah. frequently. Like that's fine. But being the one seed and losing to the smallest team in division one, it's ranked in the three hundreds that got in the tournament on a technicality and just getting beaten by them soundly. No, thank you. Being a punchline forever. Like, shout out to Matt Painter in his press conference because he took all the questions, answered them very eloquently. Seems like a good guy by all indications and yeah. took it on the chin. But yeah, man, that that hurts. I can't imagine like all the Appalachian State shit we still have to take. Just like multiply that by 100. They're saying this is the biggest upset in tournament history. There was the other 16 to one, but this is their every, every single person that writes about it is saying this is worse because they weren't even supposed to get into the tournament. Their average size was six foot three. They play essentially under the streetlight behind a blimpies. If you look at, the, <laughs> if you look at their, like where they play, it holds like 30 people. It's obscene. And, and you took down the number one seed with a guy that's seven foot four. looks like an alien out there and uh, didn't, matter did not matter Zach he didn't get a shot in the last nine minutes that's that might be on painter like i weird spot to be in with painter you mentioned seems like a great guy but now like what's going on with their their uh their late season collapses here hang on i've got it right here uh they've been ousted by double digit seeds now in three straight tournaments he's now lost with 13 a 15 and a 16 seed in consecutive years like that's tough, but then you also just ran through the Big Ten. So, like, what do you do with that? 
it's very tough, man. I don't. What is the expectation at Purdue? Like to just I have no idea. Yeah, to be consistently good there and not really have national championships. I don't know what it is, but it's such a weird spot to be in. But <clears throat> yeah, as someone you know that we've been on the side of the big upset. It sucks. So yeah, I'd rather just though lost in the NIT. Nobody really matters. It doesn't really matter. It just kind of floats under the radar. It's not even a news story. Yeah, I assure you that I'm not going to think about that NIT loss to Vanderbilt after I finish this sentence. All right, let's uh, <laughs> let's move on to hockey and let's cleanse our palate after Michigan hockey did uh, really something I think we needed. I think every Michigan fan needed that. You go into Minnesota, you win in an absolutely entertaining hockey game. Rutger McGrody, baby. McGrody, like a name that if you're a phlebotomist or like a customer service rep is the lamest name on the planet. But when you put in two goals and under a minute, you're an absolute legend. Oh man. The McGrory game, the two goals in 34 seconds span to just spark the team in the second period, a lack of penalties, cohesion throughout the lines. It was something special to watch, man. It was very, very high level college hockey. Minnesota, I still think is like the best pure talent team in the country. Could be a potential national championship setup game. I mean, it was fantastic. I was glad you got to tune in for it. Yeah, man, I was happy. I was texting you and you're like overloaded with sports content. Like that's where we're at in March. Well, I mean, F1, you, if you try to keep up with the billionaires club, you've got March Madness going on. Michigan hockey is like right in the thick of it. It's a lot, man. Like I feel for you, who's like the content king, man, for you to keep up with all this. Had MMA fights that night too. I was keeping up. It was a lot, but it was a uh, hockey was first and foremost. Awesome performance. Uh, Dylan Duke getting the game winner in the third period and Michigan finally just closing the door on Minnesota on the road. The third time this season, the Wolverines have had a third period lead against the Gophers. Finally close it out in regulation. Second consecutive big 10 championship. And now, Moving on to Colgate in Allentown this uh, this coming, I think it's for Thursday. Colgate in Allentown just sounds like somebody threw some random words together in an ad libs, but like sense makes to- no sense. <laughs> yeah, we're going to Allentown, Pennsylvania, which if you've ever been is not great. Makes Toledo look like Mecca, and yeah, we're we're gonna play a team called Colgate. But that is the path that we have drawn. But overall, man, it looks like a pretty favorable side of the bracket to be on. Looks like we're gonna get Quinnipiac. Knock on wood, you know, should we handle business? That looks like the the major roadblock. Exactly. Like this one. So first you have Colgate, then you get the winner of Penn State and Michigan Tech. Michigan uh, Tech. Yeah. Where is that in Michigan? I've, I've been not, all over. It's not, re- it. it's not real. It's just kind of made up <laughs> somewhere in the middle of Lake Michigan. I'm pretty sure. Uh, so <laughs> should get through those in the, the Frozen Four matchup with Quinnipiac, Lumen Large. Very hot goaltender there uh, up for the Hobie Baker challenging our boy Fantilli for it. And then the winner we get uh, potentially from the other side would be between Minnesota and Denver. The two other number one seeds. Minnesota, both teams should get through the regionals, barring any crazy upsets or runs. So setting up for, I mean, it looks like chalk on paper, but there's always going to be one team that kind of shakes it up a little bit. Yeah, I went to a, a DU hockey game like early on when I was out there in Denver. Like they take that stuff seriously out there when I was at uh, living next to Shotgun Willie's where the John Morant situation went down at great strip club named Shotgun Willie's. The bouncer there randomly when I was chatting with him, this is a complete diatribe off the rails here. <laughs> but I was like, oh, yo, what, what's going on? Like, how do you like working here? He's like, well, I got shot. And I was like working here. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, and you came back to work. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I love it here. So that's where John Morant got arrested with or got in trouble with the gun thing. Shotgun Willie's uh, not far from where the DU campus is. That was a random diatribe. But that's what I know about DU hockey. (laughs) 
And, oh, that, that was a great band. That's so fun. I'm glad you and John Morant have that in common. I'm glad no one else was, you know, harmed or shot or had to return to work at the place of that. Uh, yeah, so Michigan plays this Friday. I was wrong. They play Friday and Sunday, uh, presuming they win on Friday. So this Friday, 8.30, play Colgate, not the toothpaste. So. Hey, uh, maybe a couple more wins and we can shed that interim tag. So really God, what's it going to take? What is it going to take? Does he have to cure cancer? Does he have to do that? Cure cancer or something? Like, it is unbelievable to me that Ward Manuel still has a job as he just sits somewhere, like in a dark room and just growls as people walk past his office. Just, Every time Brandon Arado has a win, he just gets more and more pissed off. Like, it just, I can't. <laughs> Got a guy over there cutting up the gushers so he can suck out the gooey insides. <laughs> Looking, it's like a hardball's calling again. Not now. <laughs> Ward, we brought the pop tarts. Do you want them? I only eat the insides. <laughs> Jesus, you you animal. Oh, <laughs> uh, just uh, I mean, just malpractice from the athletic department as of, as it stands right now from a leadership position. But hopefully, he's not going to be involved with Michigan much longer. Like past June, could already be worked out. Maybe that's why he hasn't said anything because maybe he has no power. So fingers crossed that Ward Manuel is just rendered and neutered at this time. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel about Ward Manuel. Not Jeez. a fan. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, I completely agree with you, though. And also, like we've said this, and I'll say it again, I do not want if the Juwan Howard thing goes really off the rails next year and he wins 11 games and we are looking for a new coach. I don't want Ward Manuel making that call. So, like, definitely wanted to get it right. If Juwan Howard ends up not being the right guy, you and I are very clearly on the uh, the same team there that we're going to wait and see on that. But uh, if things do go off the rails, don't want them around. Um, speaking of off the rails, we've already done that a couple times on this podcast. We're in the off season. What do you want from us? We're going to do a quick ranking. I saw this floating around social media, and I thought it's very important. They, the people need to hear it from Andy and Jared. We're going to rank the postseasons of all the major sports here. And then I have a pretty I have a comparison for each one. And I want to like hear your thoughts on my comparisons. <laughs> so we're going to start here. I think. At number six, I think college football has the worst postseason of any of the major sports. Do you agree? It feels like it at this point, uh, basically because of the setup too. Like you have the month layoff before like the games that matter with the college football playoff. Like you have the holidays in between. Like you really lose a lot of steam. Like you just kind of lose the heat of the moment and you kind of just like, okay, well, oh, football's still here. I kind of, oh, I forgot about that. It's like you kind of just, you lose it because the, the, the layoff, I think, is the biggest issue with it because it should be the best. It should be the best because it has, of all these things, arguably the best regular season. And to have such a terrible postseason, it's like the kinking and unkinking of a hose. Like you wait a <laughs> month and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, and we got bowl games. And there's just like they come at you fast and furious. Most of them don't matter. So my comparison for this is a bunch of rival dads fighting over the best way to mow a lawn in 60 different Walmart parking lots, followed by a main event of like Francis and Ganu versus prime Mike Tyson. So it's just like a bunch. <laughs> of crap that's just like trailer trash nonsense and then all of a sudden there's a main event and it's like yeah this was really what all of those walmart fights were about was this one main event i can i can't think of a better way to describe like <laughs> iowa and kentucky than like dad's just fighting in a walmart like that's the best way to sum that one up good glad you're, you're on the same page as me here all right uh between four and five i think it's between major league baseball playoffs and nba basketball i i think major league baseball is a little less enjoyable than NBA basketball. What do you think? 
I think so, but it could be overtaken this year with the new rules. Right. Like the way the game is sped up a little bit, like you got to move faster. So the games are going to be, you know, two hours and not five hours anymore. So it could come back. But right now, I think I'm with you. Like both the seven game series kind of going up and down, drawn out a little bit. You and I are both kind of like making eyes across the bar at Major League Baseball. Like, oh, what, did we, what did we do here? Like, might have to tune in. Like, we don't have enough sports we need to watch. Might have to pick up Major League Baseball again. Tigers aren't even good, but this pitch count thing, man, the pitch clock could could be the thing that, that brings me back. Yeah, two-hour games. It's like, oh, I can catch six innings of Shohei Itane now instead of watching like a third of an inning before it's like 1230 on the East Coast. That's what I'm screaming. All right, so my MLB playoffs comparison. Getting drunk in extreme heat after eating 12 hot dogs and an entire apple pie. I agree with that. <laughs> like, I mean, you feel good at first while you're doing some of it, but then, you know, you get to the 12th glizzy, and it's like, I feel like shit. <laughs> right. So, I mean, that may change. Like, if the pitch count thing, the pitch clock does what we think, I don't think it'll be quite as slow. Because when I was writing that, it's like, it, it's so drawn out. Like, four hours, and you can wait two minutes in between pitches. That might change, but for now, that's what I'm going with. All right, so uh, next, we're, we're talking NFL playoffs NHL playoffs and NBA basketball. These three are all pretty close. Which one do you think is next? Well, th this is where like my, my personal bias is going to come in. Like my favoritism to towards sports because like basketball of the three is probably my least favorite. And sure. as a, as a, a fan of Michigan, whose team is often favored, not a big fan of upsets because this Purdue just found out kind of sucks. Yeah, I understand <laughs> that. So I would lean towards here. I think I would have uh, March Madness, NFL, and then NHL playoffs. Just because in the NHL Whoa. you get more, more, it's more common to have an eight upset a one, a two get upset by a seven. And there's a little more chaos in there, but you still get the seven game series, so you find out who actually is better. It's not just a one off. Wait, so you have March Madness here at four? Uh, I thought I had it at three. Oh, okay. So here you've got NHL. I have, yeah, I have March Madness three. I had NFL two, and then I would put NHL one for myself. Interesting. All right. So I've got NBA basketball at four. Yeah, that's, that's, and, that's, yeah, that's four. Okay. So my comp then would be for NBA basketball. It's like synchronized hip hop dance routines as performed by 10 adult male Jaguars. That's, yeah, that's four. <laughs> All right, so at three, you have college basketball. I yeah. strongly disagree. I have college basketball at number one. It's the only sport where you could see a Farley Dickinson beat a Purdue. Like, there's no other sport where something like that can happen just because, you know, anybody can go out there and make a three-point shot. So anybody can beat anybody on any given night. I think college basketball is a clear number one. My, my counter here would be in the NHL, you get the eight seed winning the Stanley Cup. And in like the lowest seed in the NCAA tournament, you get winning a game or two. And then it normally so straightens itself out. That's a good counter. That's a good counter. All right. But I, then let's agree that those are the top two. I'm going to put NFL playoffs at three. Can we agree on that? I, for playoffs, yeah. It's just my bias because I like football more than basketball. I got you. Okay. Yeah. So my NFL playoff comp, gladiatorial combat between Olympic high jumpers. <laughs> That's good. one of my favorite weekends every year is conference championship weekend in the NFL. Like I think I like that weekend more than the NFL or, uh, Super Bowl weekend because you have two high level games. All the like matchups are very intriguing. Teams are often familiar with each other, and I just I love waking up like that weekend and knowing you have like two great games ahead of you at like three o'clock and six o'clock every year. 
what's great about the NFL playoff, I mean, there's a lot of great things, but like when everybody gets up, you realize just how good everyone on that field is. Yeah. And like the, you can see it, like the level of difficulty of the throws, how hard the hits are in the playoffs. You still get good upsets. Like generally favorites are going to win more often than not, but you get upsets. I mean, you get like the New York Giants run to the Super Bowl. You get wild card teams winning. So it's got a lot of that, like, you know, anybody can win on any given day thing, but like the, the most important players tend to win. NFL playoffs is a pretty undisputable product. Like anything in the top four, I think, is a really good product. Like I, we're, I mean, we're, we're going backwards a little bit here, but you you enjoy NBA basketball playoffs, too, right? Like maybe not the regular season. but I do. Like- I do. Yeah, I, I enjoy the playoffs. There. I love um, one thing. I, I, I've, again, like I feel like I'm just picking on March Madness is I love the home court and home ice and home fields in the in, NFL and all that. And like in March Madness, it's all new neutral site game for the most part that is a really good take actually that might be well you might be able to talk me down to college basketball at two all right so it's nhl playoffs and college basketball i'll put college basketball at two i'm willing to do that like it it is like just on court product it's some of the most pure sports that you're ever going to get. Like every single player is only playing for themselves, their family, like the name on the front of the Jersey, not on the back because nobody at Pepperdine is going into the NBA. You know, actually there is a kid from Pepperdine going to the NBA. That's a bad example. No, the average size is six, three. So you just get like high level intensity. You get teams very specialized playing their brand of basketball. It can be very beautiful to watch, but you made some good points there. Like there's no way fairly Dickinson is winning at all. Like I think the lowest seed we've seen win is like an eight seed. Eight Villanova, yeah. Villanova, Villanova in 80, yeah, yeah. 85, I believe the upset team that beat took down Georgetown. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's not that insane. I mean, an eight seed is, you know, that's, there's only 16 of them. So you kind of split the <laughs> middle there. Uh, but my, uh, my comp for college basketball is a virgin space dragon, mythical and perfect, but maybe it, maybe it could be a little bit more perfect if you could somehow add home games in there. It would be, it'd be fun. And I think college football could be the fastest riser here because they're expanding and you could, and you're going to get some of those home game matchups, which would be a lot of fun having them like different environments, different elements. And I, 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 it's really tough to beat like the first two days of the NCAA tournament. I should like specify that like the first two days with the big upsets are really tough to beat because you have eight games. Yeah. yeah, you have eight games the first day, eight games the second day. That's where the most fun, the, the madness of it is. As it goes on, it gets a little more chalky. The teams kind of win. It kind of takes shape. But those first two days, it really is. It's like it's hard to find something that can actually beat that. That's a tremendous point. So, yeah, if you were just taking like the entirety of it, it you're basically weighing those first couple days versus the monotony yeah. of when it's like, all right, now we've got a one versus a four seed. Like we've got Kansas versus Baylor, pretty much what we expected. Now this year might shake all of that. Things are already looking, things are looking pretty weird this year. Like it could be somebody like, wait, I mean, look at Princeton right now. They might, but there's always a darling like that, you know, that goes a little bit further. St. Peter's in the elite eight last year. Yeah. St. Peter's, excuse me. So, uh, all right. So NHL playoffs, we'll put at number one right now. That's kind of surprising. I thought it was a pretty clear number one, but you talked me into it. My comp for that downing a 30 of rolling rocks in between eight balls of cocaine, the (laughs) NHL playoffs, are just absolute insanity like and you'll see a seven to eight game you'll see a one to nothing game you have no idea what you're gonna get it's frenetic though absolutely frenetic pace the physicality the schedule like every series is seven games like the games are really tight and close to each other the home ice back and forth all the matchups the rivalries 
Um, how like Cinderella's can happen. A hot goaltender can swing an entire conference. Like there's just so much room for variance. But I, ju- I do love the fact that they have the seven game series on like college hockey where it's a one off. So like upsets are more prone to happen. Like, certain things can really screw it up. But having the seven game series in a sport as physical and like frenetic and just like literally riding a motorcycle out of a helicopter that's on fire that the NHL playoffs are, it's just the best. You talked me into it, man. And honestly, the home ice thing, like that is what playoffs are all about. That's why I love NBA basketball is yes. like home court really starts to matter. Like cannot wait to watch the Sacramento Kings this year because it's been freaking 17 years. And that the beam team, awesome. baby, the beam team, like I'm tuning in. I yep. want to see it like that's great. And like when the Red Wings get home ice again, which will happen under Steve Eisman, it's going to happen like that place is electric and it matters. So you talked me into it. Like I always want to choose something where like you're bringing the fans into it. And like you watch the first week of the tournament and like there could be an incredible upset. Nobody's there to see it. Like some of those stadiums are empty, man. It's like, all right, do you guys want to travel to Ames in March? Scenic Ames, <laughs> Iowa. And yeah. Some of the venues are rough, and that's one thing where the women's basketball tournament has it figured out. I don't know how many rounds. It might just be the opening one, but like the the higher seeds in the opening rounds, like Iowa today was at home. So Caitlin Clark is going off at her home gym, off. advancing to the Sweet 16. So women's basketball has really figured certain things out. Also, in college women's basketball, they have the rule where you can call a timeout like late in the game and advance the ball to half court. Why doesn't the college men's game have that? The NBA has it. Honestly, this is great work that you've done here in this podcast. Like we just assume college basketball is perfect because we see these upsets and we're like, this is it. This was what it's all about, but it can be improved. There's definitely things that can be improved upon. And you've brought up really clear examples here. I like that. That's why you're number one. That's why you're number one. (laughs) That's why I'm here watching a lot more women's basketball with my girlfriend, you know, retired athlete. It's like, a lot of things you can do to fix the product, man. Not perfect. We can change it up. And if you could advance the ball, like just that, that alone would make these end of game scenarios even more chaotic, even more prone to upsets. I 100% agree. I mean, we saw what happened to Michigan. They didn't even have to intentionally foul. We were up eight with a minute left. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching it like, like already kind of checked out. I'm like, you know, it's, it's going to happen. It felt like an inevitability. It's like, oh boy, here we go. Terrence Williams is looking in the stands, you know, for a frozen yogurt and Hunter Dickinson hits him in the head with the ball. It's like, oh, okay. This is like, it's like a Three Stooges episode. I got it. Every time Terrace Reed got a rebound, I was like, don't worry about him passing out of that. He's going to do everything in his power, no matter what happens to go up with this. And like, oh, is he a good, he must be a really good free throw shooter then. No, no, he's not. <laughs> Ter- but he's definitely going up with that. It's Terrace time, baby. Every time he touches it's the ball. Terrace time. It's always Terrace time when he gets a rebound. Like I get like there's some pretty big shoes across the court there in Hunter Dickinson. You might have to play with him again next year, but that's something to watch, man. Like if we're both forecasting the two big lineup, Terrace has got to expand his game dramatically for that to work. Like Hunter Dickinson's more ready to play a four than Terrace is. Terrace is not a four. Like he's just a big body that loves to rebound. And he does block shots really well. I'll give him that. Yeah. His timing. I like to. I like Terrace Reed, but like he is really uncoordinated on offense. It's just just a turd out there at times. <laughs> and it makes no sense. He's like a proficient saxophone player. Like, how does that make sense? 
none of that makes any sense. But he's a he's definitely a player to watch. Him and Doug McDaniel, man, by the sound of it, those are the guys that are really going to dictate what happens next year. But uh, anyway, we're way off course. Let's take a break. When we come back, we haven't checked in on Wolverines in the NFL in a while, so we're going to do a deep dive. Um, it's completely unscripted. I just have some random stats in there. We're going to have a discussion, try and tear this out, talk about who's ascending, who's kind of disappointed, who's exceeded expectations. Talk about that and more right after this. Support for this episode is brought to you by Manscaped. Breaking news, people. Manscaped now sells beard products. That's right. They are once again revolutionizing men's grooming with the brand new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. From a beard trim to a fresh shave, the technology behind the Beard Hedger Pro Kit allows you to shape your signature beard look. Now you can finally use Manscaped products to make your drapes match your carpets by going to manscaped.com and using the code MNB20 for 20% off and free shipping. Look, I'm a man that knows the importance of a beard. The beard ties the face together like a good rug ties a room together. It's a unifying bridge between chin and scalp. I've yet to see a man's face made worse with a strong beard in my lifetime. It's the only facial hair that will never go out of style. It's time to tame your mane because no one likes a weird beard. So say goodbye to all your stubble trouble with Manscaped Pro Beard Kit. All starts with the Beard Hedger. Thing is a beast of fixing faces. First off, the cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths all with one guard. So no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. Plus, it's waterproof, so you can shave in the shower to avoid all that hair in the sink. The titanium-coated T-blade is tough on hair but smooth on your face, leading to single-stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time. The Pro Kit doesn't end there, though. They have created four dermatologist-tested formulations for your post-trim care. There's the beard shampoo and conditioner. You need to remember all your hair is different. Your beard hair is more coarse, easier to damage than your hair on your head. That's why this kit has made shampoo and conditioner specifically designed to moisturize, reduce ingrown hairs, replete those natural oils, and promote beard health. Next, the kit has Manscaped's beard oil, an essential piece for your main facial accessory. No one wants a beard who's brittle and dry. The oil relieves dryness both on the beard and the skin beneath while adding a little shimmer and shine, making you look extra fine. Cap off the kit with the Beard Balm pomade shape style moisturize tame your sculpted look. Pro Beard Kit also comes with three free gifts, a beard brush, comb, and scissors to ensure your beard is ready to impress. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code MNB20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code MNB20. Manscaped Beard Hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. Good people listening to Out of the Blue need to take a moment to shout out our sponsors for this podcast, Home Field Apparel. In case you aren't familiar and you've been living in a cave somewhere in southern Utah, they're a premium collegiate apparel brand based out of Indianapolis. Not only is their stuff comfy, but it's officially licensed gear. So you don't need to mess around with some of the imposters that are out there, and they don't mess around with their design selection. The Home Field team studies the history, traditions, and legacy of every school takes that information, they create thoughtful designs that tell a unique story of each university. Homefield has some brand new Michigan designs that you will not find anywhere else. That's just the facts. From t-shirts to hoodies and crewnecks, they have it all, so you can proudly represent the maize and blue wherever you go. So if you want some brand new, good-looking Michigan swag, head over to homefieldapparel.com and use the... Pre- 
Michigan 15 for 15% off your order. That's not just for one item. That's the entire order. So stock up while you have this offer. Again, that's 15% using the promo code Michigan15 at homefieldapparel.com. All right, and we're coming back. Uh, you know, look, you're going to get what you're going to get in the second half of this podcast because we're... <laughs> We're talking about Wolverines in the NFL. We haven't talked about it in a minute, and it's time to check up on some of our old friends, some old colleagues. And I don't really have a format for this, but I think what we should do here is put them into tiers and kind of project where they're going. Talk a little bit about the people that could get drafted this year, the players we expect to get drafted this year, and then maybe make some projections for some players on the roster. How's that sound? Sounds good, man. It's a nice general discussion of, like you said, just checking in on some old friends, seeing where they're at. Let's go. All right. So tier one here, I think let's go rising stars slash stars. There may only be one player in this category. Is that just Aiden Hutchinson? I think that the other player to consider here would be Josh Uche coming off 11 and a half sacks, two forced fumbles last year, but Aiden Hutchinson doing what he did as a rookie, I think is clearly in the star category. What do you think? Uh, I definitely think this is a Hutch category. Uh, an argument could be made about Rashawn Gary was really coming on pre-injury. He's another guy that's breaking out in a reason. Um, they've made some roster decisions, kind of building around what he can do there. But I think you, we have it right. Just based off the rookie season production of Aiden Hutchinson, I mean, you could look at the stats, but then you just factor in like the three interceptions, the way he was deployed, the help he's going to get this season, how high you and I both are, as was Michael last week. So we only think he's going to just continue to ascend. And this was a guy that we predicted as a star. We don't yeah. often do that. We've got a couple misses, and we'll we'll touch on them as we go through this list of players that we're like, oh, yeah, that guy's going to hit at the next level. Uh, but Hutchinson was the only one that I can remember that we were both like, yep, lock it in. That guy's going to hit. So looks good there. Nine and a half sacks, three interceptions, as you mentioned. One of the most double-teamed players in the nation. Put another edge rusher opposite him this season, which I think they'll do in the draft and just let him cook. Uh, Josh Uche could ascend to that level, but so for now we're going to put him in tier two, you think, which I would say is above average starter. Yeah. I think he's in this tier. Rashawn Gary's in this tier. And honestly, that could be like Mike Onwenu and then a gap. Yeah. I think so. So Rashawn Gary coming off six sacks. He had 32 tackles. He had how many? Seven tackles for loss. So a solid season. Maybe not his best season. That would have been 2021 where he had nine and a half sacks. But very clearly a starter. Clearly a guy that should be in your rotation. Uh, could still get better. Still very young. Like I don't know that we've seen the best of Rashawn Gary. So he could elevate himself. But I think above average starters right for him. Anwenu, maybe John Runyon Jr. Because they're still on those rookie deals like that factors into this they're not getting paid a ton so you're getting really good value out of Anwenu and John Runyon Jr. for Patriots and Green Bay Packers respectively um, so those guys either here or a tier below I, I don't know where do you think on those two uh, I think Anwenu can stay here but I would take Runyon Jr. down one just because all the advanced stats of like blocking like in the NFL I actually do value PFF a little bit because there's 32 teams and not 130 and you can actually break it down and all of uh, Anwenu's past blocking stats are just insane with the Patriots so I would have him here and then just make this tier a three player tier. 
Yeah, I agree with your PFF take. There's also a lot more eyes on the NFL than there are eyes on college football. I also, when doing this exercise, wanted to look at what the fans of that team were saying. Because, look, I'm going to be honest. I do not watch the Patriots and Packers a ton. Two of my least favorite teams. If I'm tuning in, it's just to watch Anwanu and Runyon and Uche and those guys and Rashawn Gary. Um, but what players were saying about Anwanu and Runyon Jr. both seem to be well-liked amongst their fan base. So, like, I was getting good vibes. I think you're right, Anwanu in that above-average starter. So let's go down a tier, and we'll say starter caliber. Caliber. Let's start with John Runyon Jr. Is this where we put David Ojabo? Kind of a question mark next to David Ojabo. We, it's incomplete so far, but we can do a little projection here. I think it's safe. I mean, coming off that Achilles injury, you knew we were going to start out a little bit lower, but he is definitely a starter quality guy. What you saw just in a limited sample size this year with the Ravens, I mean, it was awesome. He got to be reunited with Mike McDonald after the one year together at Michigan. So I think starter is the right category for him. How far could he ascend? Do you see him potentially getting to star level or is above average starter the ceiling? I think star level is on the table with him just because how little he's been playing football and how young he is in his career. I don't think you can effectively put an accurate ceiling on what he could become, especially in this system. Yeah, I'm not ready to put a ceiling on Ojabo yet. I mean, this is a fan favorite. You and I love him. And like you mentioned, the key point here, like he just learned football like six years ago. Yeah, let's give it some time there. He's the Yusuf Kayat of football. Like we don't know yet. Still figuring it out. Um, All right. uh, Jabril Peppers here coming off arguably his worst season, but still a serviceable player uh, was with the new England Patriots last year played in all 17 games, had 60 tackles, only two for loss, but I think you can still count Jabril peppers as a starter, despite having a down year. I'm not going to say that he's just on a permanent decline, but had some really good years with Cleveland and probably his best year was with the giants. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I definitely think he's in that starter category. Uh, became more of a rotational player with the Patriots, kind of utility guy using him a- around. And even by being a non-starter, finished the year with 60 tackles, two tackles for loss. So very productive when he was out there. It's just uh, he's had a trouble at times kind of finding the right fit. Certain schemes have used him not in the best way to maximize his talent. Here with the Patriots, I think he's finally like coming into his own. Literally, he's either a starter or or just entering that new phase. He's going to be more rotational, kind of Swiss Army knife type of defender. You remember when uh, we were covering him and we were always talking week in and week out, like, where are the interceptions? We're like, they'll come, they'll come. It's just circumstantial, like, that he's not getting them. I think it's probably safe to say in 2023, that was just never his game. He's never had more than one interception a season. That wasn't his game at Michigan. So that really just never came along for Jabril Peppers. So I'd be very surprised if all of a sudden he's a ball hawking safety. He was always just going to be like close to the line is where he's best. Like his tackles for losses look pretty good when you look at, you know, his overall stats, but for the most part, you know, closer to a linebacker, you know, as much as we kind of <laughs> lamented that talking about it, like there's, there is like a reason that they put him close to the line of scrimmage at Michigan. Yeah. It's like the way Don Brown used him was just dumb at times. And then people were like, where are the interceptions? Like guys, he's lining him up on the line of scrimmage. You're just not going to get a interceptions lot. there. And it's like, at times, uh, I believe it was with the giants. They would have him like 25 yards off the line of scrimmage what are he's not even in the play like what are you doing with him so we have him in this starter tier I think that's where his talent is although he's, he might be entering that, ne- that next tier below of being rotational but he has the talent to be a starter somewhere 
Yeah, so we've got him in either above average starter or probably starter. Let's starter. Bump him it's down starter, as, too. Yeah. It's starter, not above average. You're right. So we'll yeah. dump him down uh, to where Quiddy Pay is, the next guy I've got in that starter category. In 2022, he had six sacks, so it was sending. Like, so this is a guy that maybe move Jabril Peppers down and Quiddy Pay up. Six sacks is I'm with that. That's pretty that's I'm pretty pretty sold on that. He only played 12 games too. So extrapolate that. That's maybe nine sacks. Yeah, let's move Quiddy Pay up, an ascending player for the Indianapolis Colts on a pretty listless, aimless team. Like get some better players around him. I could see Quiddy Pay ascending. And you and I weren't super high on him, but we also said that the the skill was clearly there. The talent was still was clearly there. He just needed to uh, you know learn some pass rushing moves. He needed to be seasoned. Like needed to get a better feel for the game. But physically, he was always there. Yeah, he's taken the step too. I mean, he had 32 tackles in 15 games as a rookie and then 45 in 12 games in his follow-up season, 10 quarterback hits in both despite the game differential. So he's getting better. And I definitely think he sh- that if the switch is the right move. Bring Peppers down to starter, bring Quiddy Pay up one, especially like you said, on that defense, what he's doing, just getting any production is just going to be so valuable. Yeah, I'm with you. That's a good move. Uh, I've got Josh Metellus here as well, a guy that was named captain for the Minnesota Vikings, which, I mean, we loved Metellus. I don't think we didn't give him his flowers when he was there. Like, we 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 certainly gave him uh, his due respect. But to become a, a captain, that's great. The numbers don't blow you away. Had his best season in 2022. He had 42 tackles, one tackle for loss, five passes broken up, and an interception. Not anything too crazy, but the leadership aspect here. Um, I don't think we can quite move him up to above average starter because, you know, the on field impact isn't that great. But I mean, leadership, that's really what you think of with Metellus right now. Exactly. I mean, he only started three games in 17 last year. So even having him here as starter, I think we're just being generous because of the leadership and because we also think he's an ascending type of player. Like just because he had that this season doesn't mean this next season he might not see more game starts and more actual reps. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, Next up, Donovan Peoples-Jones, I feel very confident about at starter level. Like those numbers are good, but you will never think star. Uh, He had his best season last year. He had 61 receptions for 839 yards, three touchdowns. That is a very middle of the road starting caliber wide receiver. I don't think you're going to mistake him for a star. I think this is the right place for DPJ. Very, just very mid, very mid in the NFL. Like this is your, like your baseline kind of starter going to give you, you know, good, not great, serviceable at times. The receiving core in uh, Cleveland has a lot to answer for. I mean, they're not producing. I mean, maybe that's the quarterback position because they had below average play all season. So maybe people's Jones could step it up with better quarterback play. But for now, this is just a very good middle of the road spot for him. I mean, it's kind of disappointing though, from where he was when he came to Michigan. Yeah, but also being mid as a receiver in the NFL means you're one of the top 30 on the planet. So, like, let's also keep this in mind. Like, he's doing pretty good. I don't know that we thought star with any of him. Like, I think maybe Nico Collins was the guy that I thought star with at receiver. This is about where I expected DPJ to be was like really solid pro. It's funny how the bad quarterback play has plagued him in college because you remember the 2017 season when he had Wilton Spate, John O'Corn, and Brandon Peters. And then this past year, he had God knows who in front of it. And then Deshaun Watson and Baker Mayfield in the years prior. So not been good. 
No, both him and our boy Nico have uh, really been straddled with some really ugly franchise decisions. They've both had Deshaun Watson taint their legacy, both Nico and now DPJ. I just made that connection. How unfortunate. I, at least I, I don't think uh, he, uh, Nico actually ever had to play with Deshaun Watson. I think he was serving suspension, but that is an interesting parallel. Yeah, I mean, he's still affected his legacy. And, Very true. Uh, we, can t- we can touch on him because I think Nico is a starter, so I put Nico here. I think Nico has really been s- saddled with just an ugly, ugly situation. He quietly had 729 Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the Michigan record. I'm like, the Michigan numbers. I'm like, that can't be right. There's no <laughs> way he had 729 reception yards last year. Uh, but I, I just think that once they get a quarterback in there, whether that's Bryce Young, whether that's CJ Stroud, Will Levis, I've seen enough. And that was with uh, the the neck god as their quarterback. Davis Mills, year. baby. Davis Mills, the biggest neck in the game. So I think once they get a real quarterback, I think Nico Collins is starter level, but the numbers aren't great. He is. Yeah, last year he had 481 receiving yards, two touchdowns. It's it's solid, you know, just, you know, kind of. It's, With it's, Davis Mills? It's so hard to assess Nico Collins because the last time we saw him at Michigan was 2019. You know, sat out the 2020 COVID season, then went to the Texans, 400 and I believe it was like 30 yards as a rookie, the exact 446, then 481 last year so. Kind of middling, but yeah, again, quarterback play has a lot to do with this, so we're going to see what the Texans can do in this draft and if they can get some help in there. Yeah, I mean, you give him Bryce Young, that's a really accurate quarterback. Those numbers are going to go up, so I think he, I'm going to go ahead and call this, he's going to go up a tier this year. I think that he'll raise up a tier. That seems like a pretty good prediction. I like it, dude. Call your shot. That's been your boy forever, so there's no time like the present and like, don't back off Nico Suave now. Speaking of my boys that I'll never back off of in this category, Jordan Lewis still coming off, not his best season in 2022. Didn't see a lot. He was injured a little bit. He only had, what was it? Six games that he saw action. in. I always thought, I mean, or at least since about 2019, 2020, I wanted him to move teams. I didn't like the way Dallas used him. His best season was probably right around 2019 where he had, what was it, two interceptions. He had six passes broken up, primarily used at the nickel, which, okay, I mean, that's about what we saw. Um, but I still think if this guy were on the Lions last year, I think he's useful. I mean, barring the the health injury stuff. I think, like, on a team where you don't have Trevon Diggs taking one of the spots, like, the Lions could have used this guy the last couple of years. So I think he's a starter still. I would like to see him get out of Dallas. Yeah, it's just going to be a nickel rotational position in Dallas because who's the they just signed Stephon Gilmore in a trade, so he's yeah, going to be the exactly. other corner. Uh, yeah, 2019 was definitely his best season. Also had four sacks and a touchdown. Very good season from him. It's just it's a muddled room. It's been very tight. Like its injuries have also plagued him. Starter level is appropriate because I do think he can contribute in the NFL, like certain spots and rotate different teams, especially in the NFL where 11 personnel and three wide receivers is so common. So you're going to have to have that nickel corner out there. Values there. I just hope he can stay healthy. Get him to Detroit along with Devin Witherspoon. We're going to talk about him and not this podcast, but we're going to talk about him for the lions at some point. Uh, all right. There, Devin Bush. Let's have a discussion. Still a starter coming uh, off. Uh, <laughs> coming <mine>. off. <laughs> 
Look, a lot of this has to do with some of the things that he said he took the time to type out and hit send on. Uh, coming off 81 tackles, only two tackles for loss. Like the the stuff that he did in his in his rookie campaign, which was really get after the quarterback, really like disrupt the passing lane and force fumbles, recover fumbles. That's kind of gone away. Uh, he's now moving to Seattle. I'm hoping that he can revitalize his career. Also needs to just stay off Twitter and maybe, maybe sit the next couple plays out, champ. Uh, yeah, Devin, um, Devin Bush, we're, we're going to keep him. Like, he is the very, like, I mean, he is just holding on to starter level. I mean, like, by the fingertips because rotational player is in his future. Hopefully, you know, some possible medication uh, as well because it seems a little crazy on Twitter at times. But, yeah, man, ever since the injury he suffered, I believe it was his second season in 2020, just hasn't been the same guy. Like, the explosiveness hasn't been there. The instincts hasn't been there. He's been all over the place, erratic on the field, erratic off the field. So you hope the best for him, and you hope his play can tick back up to where it was when he was a rookie. One of our favorites when he was playing at that missile level, you know, like yeah. just all time rewatchable guy. If you want to go back and watch a highlight tape, like he's probably top three and he's not. Here's two or here's three. a fun question for you, though. Is Devin Bush, was he just a good blitzer? Was he a good linebacker? Fascinating question. <laughs> and the fact that it's taking me this long to answer might be telling like, because I've rewatched him a lot. I have rewatched him a lot. And like, he's pretty good in coverage because of that speed. Yeah. Very good sideline sideline. But it's like, I think the run, you know, is that, wouldn't you want somebody a little more Colson size? Exactly. I think like the, the blitzing prowess kind of overshadowed some warts and stuff on that. And the defense was so good around him to fill, like fill some things up, fill some gaps. Like maybe he was like, kind of elevated by that. And you're seeing some of the blemishes a little bit more now in the NFL. He's more the Matthew McConaughey as Russ Cole, but Junior Colson might actually be the uh, the Marty Hart that you slowly get to appreciate. And you're like, you know what? Colson's doing it. Good. He's doing the dirty things. Good cross-reference there. Also, it's just like with um, like Josh Ross towards the end of his career, like he slowly got better as like a more complete yeah. linebacker and did a lot of good things that are kind of were undervalued at the time. And like, they're not as sexy. But, like, Devin Bush always had the knack for the sexy, the tearing up the field, and the 94-yard defensive stand against Michigan State. So, maybe it covered up some of the warts. But, I mean, we're still holding out for our board in Seattle. Yeah, I really hope so. That would be awesome if he could have a revitalization in, like, a place that's known for really good linebacker play. All right, I think we have to drop a tier now. We're in the rotational players zone. Uh, ben Bredesen. This one, I, I think he needs to get his shake, and he could be in line to start actually due to uh, one of the guards from the Giants being moved to the commanders, I believe. Um, so Ben Bredesen could get some minutes now, but it's just kind of been a rotational guy, been a backup, and it seems like that's where he's going to settle. I think this is one of the bigger disappointments being as how high we were, we were on Ben Bredesen. He's a bigger, he's a, uh, one of the bigger disappointments, but not the biggest. The biggest is always going to be Chase Winovich to me, just because I was like, Chase Winovich will not suck in the NFL, but he can't stay healthy. That's that kind of translates. If he can't stay healthy, he can't really play. And that's a big issue. So that one's always going to stink. But yeah, Bredesen's up there, man, with the Giants, like had some moments, but never really just stuck as the guy kind of fell into the Mason Cole range with the Cardinals, just kind of going up and down and starting and not starting and playing different positions. And I, I don't know if it's purgatory right now before he's out of the NFL. 
Yeah, my biggest disappointment, that was one of the categories I wanted to touch on. I would have to say mine is the combination of David Long, Ambry Thomas. I'm a huge secondary guy. I really want to see a Michigan secondary player go into the NFL and have a 10-year run. That would bring me a great deal of joy. I thought of the two, I was like, David Long's the more technically sound. Ambry Thomas is the more athletically gifted. We're going to get one of the two. So that's mine. Um, But yeah, from just like a player from what we thought they would be, you got to at least mention Ben Bredesen because, I mean, two-time All-American, just like an absolute force in there. Big enough, strong enough, fast enough. Uh, Cesar Ruiz, really big disappointment. Like, I mean, that was a guy that I was a surefire hit, you know, like making me second guess my Olu stock, although I'm higher on Olu than I was on Cesar Ruiz. Cesar Ruiz is a, a big disappointment for me it's so just, far. It's not the shine you thought it would have on it. Like, I mean, he's been a, a serviceable rotational lineman. Again, like that Mason Cole, a lot of Michigan linemen have followed this trajectory and it's coming into like a big lump of Michigan players now where it's just kind of. They're playing okay. They're not playing okay. But I think the biggest issue in the NFL for a lot of them, the commonality is health. They haven't been able to stay healthy. Right. So Mason Cole here now, but Mason Cole for a while was like a really good starter. So now probably this is where Mason Cole's at. I'm not even positive where he's at. Uh, to be honest, didn't have him on my list. Kalik <laughs> Hudson here just got his second contract from Washington. This is a good Hasn't surprise. Hasn't done a ton. Good surprise, yeah, this though. is I'm glad he's sticking around. You know how I stand for Kalee Hudson. Just him and Bush, like now that you look back on it, probably not the two guys you would want as your linebackers out there. But man, was it fun. So I'm glad he's stuck around with Washington, still on the same team, too. Useful on special teams. Uh, Chase Winovich is here as well. Unfortunately, your biggest disappointment after two years back to back, five and a half sack years for New England. It was like, that's what he is. He's going to be a five and a half sack a year guy, which would put him in a either starter above average starter, but has just fallen off. And I think it's health primarily. I think you already touched on that. Yeah, he's unsigned right now, a free agent. So it remains to be seen if he's going to be on a roster because of those health concerns. But I imagine he's going to find some position somewhere to stick. Other guys on this list, Cesar Ruiz, Sean McEwen, Zach Gentry, Jalen Mayfield, who I looked up, uh, couldn't really find much on PFF. So then you dive deeper. You're like, all right, what do the Atlanta fans think about Jalen Mayfield? One of their fans said he should be in prison for what he allowed to happen to their quarterbacks. So I was like, okay, Jalen Mayfield, <laughs> not not trending up. Uh, Maurice Hurst here, who, man, this is another one. I, I can't put him on the disappointments list, though, because health and just like, that in his draft stock like really impacted things but he had four sacks his rookie year from a defensive tackle position that's not nothing you know Maurice Hurst we were not wrong about Maurice Hurst I think just circumstantial with Maurice Hurst he's going to the Browns now so he's going to have some opportunity on the interior there I'm holding out for it man Uh, anybody else there that you wanted to touch on I think we've already touched on McEwen being the biggest surprise of any of these that he's still a rotational guy he is Uh, I think we should move David Long up Okay, David Long uh, hasn't really done much. I mean, we've got his stats here, but he has played in a lot of games. Yeah, uh, yeah, like two years ago, I mean, 40 tackles, uh, started five games for a Super Bowl champion team. I think that should be moved up a little bit. There you go. Yeah. There you go. You're right. He should not be on Cam McGrone level. Cam (laughs) McGrone is... That's preposterous. You're absolutely right. Cam McGrone is in a different tier. Cam McGrone has like one career tackle and he's played for like six minutes. <laughs> but this is this is it's kind of Freudian. I feel like you put him there just because of the disappointment. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, anybody else here on this kind of like depth scout team that I'm missing? 
I don't know. There's Tyree Cannell on a roster somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, there's going to be some other guys that are just on a roster. Look, we threw this one together. We we apologize. You're getting buzzed, Jared. We were talking about uh, True Detective season one for 45 minutes in the break. So how we did it, how we did it in the middle here to try uh, Tyree Cannell. Uh, oh, I got a good one for you for rotational is uh, Chris Evans for the, for the Bengals. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Oh, Karan Higdon was one. We both said we were like, that guy's better than carry Johnson of the lions. So that's one we got to touch on that. Apparently we were wrong with, but he also went into a terrible situation. Like yeah. if we would have got Karan Higdon behind a decent offensive line, I still maintain that guy could have done something. You can honestly still say he's probably better than Carry on Johnson. He not, won't be wrong. They're both free yeah. agents. Carry <laughs> on Johnson got roughed up by Matt Patricia. That's a whole different one. Uh, so biggest disappointment we touched on. Biggest surprise is that Sean McEwen. Sean McEwen and Khalid Hudson just getting the second contract really surprised me this year. Like I think he does a lot for the locker room, a lot on special teams, as we saw his impact on special teams at Michigan and what he can do. But yeah, Sean McCune being the guy, and now the Cowboys are letting Dalton Schultz walk. So could even open up more opportunity for him. Yeah, I'll agree with you on that one. Um, Call your shot. Who is most likely to rise up a ranking here, a tier? Let me take a look. Oh, also another one we should mention is rotational is Brian Monet, our boy. Yes, yes, absolutely. Brian Monet, who we've touched on a couple times, like we have up there with McEwen as biggest surprise. That's an awesome one. Yeah, great call. Mike um, Dana, another yep. big surprise. That's in rotational guys. Yep. Um, yeah, we don't need to touch on Brandon Graham. Everyone knows he's excellent and still the leader of the free people. <laughs> Graham Glasgow coming back to Detroit. That's a good one. That is a good one after yep. the set with the Broncos. And um, But your question to me, who's going to move up? Nico Collins because of the quarterback play. Let's go. That was the one that I mentioned earlier. Uh, David Ojabo would be the other one to look at here. I think that's a guy with a full season healthy. Um, if that's not a debilitating injury and he can come back and be what we saw towards the end of that season during the Ojabo moment. Oof. That would be exciting. I like watching the Ravens like where I don't like watching, you know, tuning into the Green Bay Packers to watch Aaron Rodgers, much like his family, who also isn't <laughs> tuning in. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to watch the Packers. So uh, and same with the Patriots. Bill Belichick is about as entertaining as a mop. But yeah. Um, all right. Anybody else you want to touch on before we move to some of the best fits for current Wolverines in the draft? Nothing we touched on at all. Rashawn Gary, another name to watch move up as is Quiddy Pay. Just those pass rushers, man. You got to keep an eye on them. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so let's talk best fits, NFL fits for a couple Wolverines. Let's do Mozzie Smith, Olu, DJ, Moody. We could do Mike Morris, too, if you want. He's not as interesting to me. I don't know that he's going to be anything other above rotational. But uh, what do you think for Mozzie? What is his ceiling and what's a good fit for him? Mozzie's interesting because the pass rushing isn't quite where you want it to be. Needs to be on a physical defense with just in a a good scheme with a lot of good guys around him. It's going to sound really weird when I say this, but I like D'Amico Ryans a lot as a defensive mind. I think he could do good things with the Texans. That's where he's the head coach at now. I had the Texans for two different players. This was one of them. That's awesome. Yeah, I was (laughs) thinking the same thing. Uh, Is he better? Then in like somebody running a three, four or a four, three under, like, is he better just as a point of attack? I'm going to stop my guy, eat up space because we haven't seen that pass rush. Like, what do you think is the best system for him? 
I think it's a 4-3. Um, he could play a 4-I. I don't think he could be a zero tech in the middle like a Fletcher Cox like that. I just don't think he has the size for it. No, not, uh, not he's the but he's definitely player. definitely powerful enough to be a starting uh, defensive tackle. The Colts is another interesting fit because they have oh, – who's the defensive tackle with the Colts? I can't think of his name. Came over from the 49ers, but they could play inside with him and have Quiddy Pay on the outside. That can bring a nice element to that defense. Uh, I mean, strictly from a need point standpoint, the Lions could use one. And in the second round, that could be a player that they could target. I mean, they certainly need someone on the inside. I think pairing him next to Alum McNeil is certainly very interesting. And then you've got Aiden Hutchinson right on the outside. That certainly intrigues me. Like this is definitely a Lions target and, and one that I'm pretty intrigued in, especially if you're not taking him in the first round. Could he go first round? I would be shocked if he went first round just because of the position and because of the names like Jalen Carter, despite the off the field issues and the Brian Brisees ahead of him. I got you. And uh, where do you see his ceiling? Is it potential rising star? Is it starter? Is it rotational? Where do you think? Uh, above average starter, I think, is the ceiling. I don't see him ever being a star, uh, but I definitely think he could be more than serviceable on the interior. I'm with you. Okay, let's move down to Olu, who I think will be the next one off the board. Same questions. Uh, what's a good fit? Where do you see him playing? Where could he excel? What's his ceiling? He could fit a lot of different places. I would love to see him get drafted by the Eagles and sit for a year behind Jason Kelsey because he's nearing the end. That offensive line was dominant this past season, the best in the NFL. And he could kind of ease into it because he's got some things to pick up on. And he could learn from kind of an undersized but super strong center in Kelsey because I mean he's just been the man for so long. Such a good place to learn. And again, I think... I think Olu could be a star because I think the way he picked up Michigan's playbook and things like that, I think he could become the star in the NFL. But I think rising uh, above average starters more where he's going to fall into. Complete agreement there. This is the guy that I would look at. Like, yeah, he could become a star and like a star as a center. You know, you can put some quotation marks around that. I don't know what that necessarily means, but one of the best centers, top 12 center in the league, certainly on the table. I'm more confident about him than I was about Ruiz, who I totally admitted I was wrong about earlier, but I feel better about Oluolu with Timmy. So as far as fit, pick a team, honestly, yeah. like this, this type of player could fit anywhere. I mean, a center, a good center is a good center anywhere. This is where I had the Texans though, because they're about to get a new quarterback. They've got Scott Kessenberry, who I believe is from LSU was, uh, I think Joe Burrow's center for that national title. Interesting. Team, if I'm not, mis if I'm not mistaken. So they've got a guy there that could be pretty good, but this Olu brings that ceiling up and they can kind of come along together. Maybe that's Bryce Young going there. Maybe it's C.J. Stroud, but pair him with a, an up-and-coming quarterback. That could be pretty interesting, but I'm totally with you on his ceiling. Uh, next off the board, I think, will be D.J. Turner. Second or third round? Sound about right to you? This is the player that could surprise people in the draft because of his speed. I mean, he could rise up to late first round if someone wants to get frisky just because of the potential and what they can do with them, his physicality as well. I mean, physicality and speed alone, I think, are going to put him in the second round because it's a very rare combination for a corner. Right. And I mean, you and I, when we saw that 40 time, it was pretty clear we were texting each other like, yep, he's moving up like he's got the requisite tape and the tape isn't going to blow you away. It's really not like you're not going to see a guy that's sticking to top receivers and shutting them down. But you're going to see an athletic guy. You're going to see a willing tackler. You're going to see a guy that more often than not is in the right place. Uh, doesn't get flagged a lot, like was able to hand fight, doesn't have that Jordan Lewis level of 
savvy to be like, oh, my God, this guy's hand fighting the whole time. He's tugging, he's grabbing, but he's got some of that veteran savvy. So he's a you're absolutely right. The guy to watch, like the biggest variance. So where's a good fit? What do you think the ceiling is? And uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, DJ Turner is a big one here. I mean, there's a certain team that were silver and black that's had a lot of turnover in the secondary and Rock Yunsen's not coming back. So I know a team that loves speed. So I could easily see him being a Raider next season. I like that a lot. Uh, I, the Raiders would absolutely work. Every team needs a cornerback. Cornerbacks, there's a high premium. You mentioned he could rise fast. So like I think second round is probably the ceiling. I think he'll go in the third round. As far as a fit, yeah, I mean the Colts, the Jets. I mean, there's a ton of teams that could use a second cornerback, and that speed is certainly going to be appealing. The Lions are going to take a cornerback at some point, might not be first round, but just because of their signings, they're taking a cornerback. So they're in play. The Browns could use a cornerback. What is his ceiling, though? This is the hardest one. I'm going to go ahead and go starter and be lame, but that's it. Above average starter. Is that in play? I, I, I hate to be that guy. I don't see it. I don't see above average starting the NFL. The cornerback track record isn't as good. We, I mean, we didn't even touch on the Dax Hill up and down this past season when we were talking about players. And it's just kind of all over the place with his variance and the mistakes he would make. So I think saying Turner ceiling as a starter is very fair. Where do you put Dax Hill? You're right. We totally glossed over that. Star. I'm not, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Not star. Starter. Starter? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Starter. I mean, we can't give him above average. He could rise to that, but I think starter for now. Yeah. I agree. Uh, next off the board, I think it'd be Moody. Mike Morris could go off the board before Moody just because of the position, but yeah. I think Moody's going to be more impactful. Uh, Moody, a, a kicker's a fit for anyone, so let's skip that. But Oh, I got you, baby. Is, 49ers. They, they didn't resign Robbie Gold. They All contenders need a good kicker. Put him there. Let's go. Let's go out to San Francisco. Oh, my God. He would absolutely crush it out there. I mean, we're talking sea level. <laughs> <laughs> this man's going to do wonderful things. Not going to enjoy the taxes, but he's going to have a good time. I like that a lot. Um, I guess for a kicker, above average starter, I don't think star is a kicker. There's only been like three stars as kicker. Star. As kickers. Star. Yeah. Big booty Let's booty. Go. Give me star. Jake the make, baby. <laughs> All right. Uh, anybody else you want Mike Morris? Do you see him making some huge rise? Uh, Jamon green probably shouldn't have gone. I don't see him being anything above uh, scout level. Uh, Mike Morris rotational, I think is the ceiling. I don't see him ever being a starter. Uh, just a, yep. a lot of concerns with size, bend, uh, athleticism, but he could definitely find a rotation, especially in like run heavy personnel to stop the run. I think he could contribute. Uh, Luke Scoonmaker could potentially Ooh. go high. He tested really well. He tested really well. And we probably should have thrown him actually right after DJ and before Moody, because like, I'm looking at the tight ends here. If you want a guy that can block, you take that, uh, Washington cat from Georgia. If you want, you know, Michael Mayer is going to go first round, but then after that, like, there's not a lot of well-rounded tight ends. It's, He's athletic and well-rounded. Schoonmaker, man, could be a third rounder. It's weird because it goes around because some people are saying it's the best tight end class in 10 years because you have Dalton Kincaid, wow. who's more of a receiver. I like. And it's like you have a lot – you have um, the huge guy, as you mentioned, from Georgia – um, but he's not Darnell really Washington. He's not really a receiver. He, he, he looks awkward running with the football because it looks like a lineman right. doing because of his size. A lot of variants. Scooney, like you said, though, is so well-rounded and polished. I think you could implement him day one and he can do everything on the football field at an average baseline level. But so I'll say like his ceiling in the NFL is starter. 
Yeah, I'm with you. I'll say his ceiling is above average starter. I'm going to call my Hell shot yeah. Schoonmaker. Hell yeah. I was, saving, I was saving him for last. Uh, one player for the Lions, who you taking? They could also use a kicker. They just re-signed what's-his-face from last year. I didn't love that move. But uh, uh, one starter for the Lions, one player for the Lions, who you want? I'd feel like positionally just fits. You touched on it earlier as Mozzie Smith. Just bringing somebody in there rotationally to just mix in, I think, would be a great fit. I'm going to go Scooney. I'm going to stick with it. I think that's an awesome fit. I'm getting talked more and more into Scooney being that guy. Like, I mean, this was his first year being the dude. And uh, which which game did I go back and rewatch? Michigan State. Awesome. I went back and I went back and rewatched Michigan State, man. Like he didn't miss. There's no, like we just should have hit him more, should have fed him more. So I don't know what his ceiling is. Like maybe he was just getting going. I love him for the Lions, man. Talk me in. I just talked myself into it right now. I uh, just went from six to midnight. I should announce this on the podcast and to you. I've already decided on the jersey purchase. Hit me. Let's go. I can't. I need to hear it. I'm getting a white Colston Loveland. Oh, there it is. This is this the makeup Eric all. God, yes. Yes, it is. It hurts so bad because like, I, I, I love the tight end position. Eric All is my guy for a lot of different reasons. Bet- betrayed me, much like Benedict Collins at Arizona State. So now I got to make up for it with rising sophomore stud number 18 in the white, Loveland. Well, his own dad betrayed him. But yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's, a great, that's, that's a great purchase. That is a tremendous purchase. I You're going to hear absolutely no pushback from me on that one, man. Uh, I can't wait to see. I mean, Will Johnson seems like an inevitability. Like Aiden Hutchinson is my favorite player currently. The only threat is Will Johnson. Like Sander Will Sander Stills in that mix for you. Well, that jersey's already here. I already got that. Like, <laughs> I'm talking for next season. <laughs> That's very, I mean, Will, like you said, William Johnson, first of his name, as you so aptly gave him the number two. And it's like, I feel like we're both getting in on the sophomores as well. So, like, he can carry oh, yeah. over for the next year. That's good. Yeah. Get a guy that you can actually wear his jersey for a couple times while he's on the field. That's enjoyable. You're going to get some run out of it. Will Johnson. I think I should do it. Just, I should just bite the ball. If it's happening, I already know it's happening. This is an inevitability. Let's just go ahead and do it. Yeah. They let him get his first interception game one, make the purchase. There it is. There it is. Yeah. I'm with you, brother. Uh, This was fun, but it only gets funner. Next week's the one baby spring game draft. Been building the big board. I've been preparing all year for this. Like spring, I'm getting a little weird with it this year. I'm not just going straight nerd, locking it all up. I'm getting a little, a little weird with some. Of, I'm calling some shots in this podcast. Sure thing, buddy. I'm gonna <laughs> go ahead and buy into that after you rope a dope me. The Rod Moore actually better than Dax Hill. I mean, tune he, in next week to find out. I mean, he is, but like, you know, you got to draft sometimes the people. A little strategy. Yeah. Or you do you, buddy. Go ahead and have some fun over there. I'll believe it when I see it, you diabolical <laughs> bastard. <laughs> one of our favorite pods of the year, man. I can't wait for it. Oh, man. This was a blast, brother. First one on the new network. Many more to come. Tune in next week. It's the spring game draft. That's going to do it for Out of the Blue. Make sure you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. That's Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever. I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue. Go blue.